I think all of us have a unique patient journey. And I say to everybody as a backdrop, people look at digital therapeutics and they say, oh, it's a very simplistic model. It's really much more complex than most other healthcare technologies out there and treatments because we're actually engaging the patient start to finish throughout the entire treatment protocol. And it requires a lot of effort and resources. So for us, what we're doing is we partner with health plans. And then what we're actually working with health plans on is we're doing direct member engagement. Welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. I thoroughly enjoy bringing you discussions with incredible industry leaders, and it would mean a lot to me if you could rate this podcast in your favorite player, and of course, hit that bell to be notified of future episodes. Today, I speak with Joe Perikopka, CEO of Freespira. In their own words, Freespira is the only medication-free FDA-cleared digital therapeutic treatment proven to significantly reduce or eliminate symptoms of panic disorder, panic attacks, and post-traumatic stress disorder in just 28 days. But before we dive in, I first reached out to Joe last year to have him on season two of the podcast, but I dropped the ball. Yes, it does happen. Well, I actually met him for the first time the day we were recording this podcast. Almost immediately, I felt like I've known Joe for so many years. He is sharp and focused, super responsive, and passionate about helping people. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Joe. I'm here with Joe Perikupka. Welcome to the DTX podcast, Joe. I wanted to have you in season two, but honestly, that got delayed. So I'm glad to have you as we're now evergreen as a podcast. So welcome. And for the audience, please give us a little bit about yourself, how you got into the DTX space, and one important piece around all of this is one interesting fun fact about you. Sure. And first and foremost, thank you, Eugene. Honestly, I've been following you and your podcast and really appreciate the amount of effort and focus you're bringing to the digital therapeutic landscape. It's such an important area, so thank you. A little background about me. I've been in healthcare commercialization for my entire career, basically, Really spent a lot of time in the med tech sector working for a large medical device company called St. Jude Medical, which is now part of Abbott, and then jumped into the startup world with my first role, a company called Brainsway, and it was in mental health, and it was a novel technology for treating depression and OCD, and then fell in love with the entire digital therapeutic idea and landscape. And what really brought me to this area and what brought me to Freespear was not just the story behind Freespear, the product how great it works clinically. But what I really saw in the US was obviously some strong barriers to accessing care, especially for mental health. And what I saw at the opportunity of Freespear is the ability to actually bring validated treatments to people the way they needed it in their own home. Recently, I read a whole blog about how you and your wife ran every day for a year. I'm a pretty big runner myself, or used to be. I'm getting a little old in my age now. It's not running the way I used to my kids were calculating with me how many races I did. And in 10 years, I ran over 125 races, half marathons, 10 miles predominantly. So I set myself a goal one year where I said, I'm going to do a race every single month. And that actually culminated into about 10 years worth of races. So it was an interesting journey. Amazing. And unlike you, where you set your goal for just one year and ended up in 10, as Marina and I are done with the 365 days, we're not going to run every day. (laughs) (laughs) So we're picking different, but we did enjoy and learn quite a lot around it. So you mentioned 10 years for your running, but also let's bring this 10 years back to Freespira. 
And I think 2023, Freespira already has or will be celebrating 10 years. And I know you came in later in the journey. Would love to hear a little bit of the founding story. What excited you to even come to Freespira and the 10-year accomplishment that the team has put together here? Yeah, so that's a really interesting story in a background. It's one of the reasons I came to Freespira to begin with. The origination story really begins with a husband and wife, Russ and Beth Siegelman. And Beth, unfortunately, was suffering from debilitating panic attacks for many, many years. Learned about this interesting treatment slash protocol that was being done at Stanford University. She enrolled in that, went through 28 days where they utilized the protocol that's now part of the Free Spear treatment solution. And at the end of the 28 days, had such an incredibly profound impact on her and her symptomology of panics that they just felt compelled that they needed to find a way to bring this to people, but in a different formula. So they spoke to Stanford. They ended up acquiring the protocol. They went out and hired the founding CEO, who was Deborah Reisenthal, who's an incredibly well-known name in the digital therapeutic landscape, brought on my partner, Simon Thomas, and they took the protocol, digitized it, and built this product around it that we now call Freespear that's delivered to patients in their home every day. I think the story is, what's really moving to me is it's not like a corporation that said, where's a huge unmet need and let's develop a product to meet that from a revenue perspective. It's really a passion project for these two individuals. And our mantra has been, is, and always will be, the patient comes first. And we believe that if we're doing what's right for the patient, everything else falls in line, we'll get more reimbursement, and then eventually the revenue comes into the company the way it needs to. It's amazing. And I think healthcare is one of those industries that we see lots of entrepreneurs getting in, not for there's a big problem to solve from just pure value creation. It's really around, we all have our stories. Your coach was born because of Marina's experience. As you mentioned, Freespira was born. So I think that's the rewarding industry that we're in. Let's step back. How big is the problem in US on PTSD? Like from a population perspective, what you've seen? Currently, there's 12 million people in the U.S. that suffer from PTSD. One of the things I think that we have to really help people understand is we don't know who or how is going to be the trigger for one individual to end up with post-traumatic stress disorder versus another. But what we do know is that prolonged exposure to highly anxious situations or traumatic events can be a trigger. So what you see is patients will suffer through a traumatic event, whether it's a car accident, forest fire, house burns down, unfortunate gun incident, whatever the case may be, that's a traumatic event. That becomes the trigger point. Then over the next 30 days, the way that individual process through that, they end up in what's called pre-PTSD syndrome. After 30 days, they can be officially diagnosed. We see this now, it's 12 million people. But more importantly, what's interesting is they just came out this year, end of last year, and they updated the economic burden. They estimate now that the economic burden to the US health system is over $230 billion associated with PTSD. And we've treated almost 800 patients. So globally, we've treated about 4,000 patients with free spear in the country since we launched in the US. 800 patients have gone through our free spear treatment for PTSD. Only about 30% are veterans or military individuals. The rest are civilians. Just to put that in context for you, and they've estimated that the cost of PTSD in the civilian population is going to significantly outpace the veteran population, which is, again, just another indicator that we've got to get ahead of this condition now and help people. And the key to PTSD is early assessment, early diagnosis, and early intervention. 
Now, fast forward, you guys are at commercial stage and many DTX industry, digital health industry, but even broader healthcare and even patients are listening to this. Can you take us through what that experience is like for a patient from getting that prescription and what do they do actually on a daily basis? I think what's really great about digital therapeutics in general and FreeSpear specifically is our ability to engage patients in a very different way. I think all of us have a unique patient journey. And I say to everybody as a backdrop, people look at digital therapeutics and they say, oh, it's a very simplistic model. It's really much more complex than most other healthcare technologies out there and treatments because we're actually engaging the patient start to finish throughout the entire treatment protocol. And it requires a lot of effort and resources. So for us, what we're doing is we partner with health plans. And then what we're actually working with health plans on is we're doing direct member engagement, co-branded with the health plan based on identifying patients that are already diagnosed. Or we're working with them to identify patients that probably have panic disorder specifically or PTSD, but aren't diagnosed. And then as we're doing that outreach, we're also bringing awareness to the clinicians so that they have patients that they've identified in their office, then they can actually refer them as well. But the vast majority of time, what we're seeing is individuals are coming to FreeSpear directly to inquire about the treatment and understand it. They're going to actually engage with our customer care team. They're going to provide the patient an assessment. So we're using independent validated assessment tools like the Panic Disorder Severity Survey or the PCL5 for PTSD. And then we're working with the patient to take those surveys to identify if they're an actual candidate for FreeSpear, do they have panic disorder or PTSD, and will they be a good patient to go through this treatment? And then the next step is we ship the product directly to their doorstep. As we're shipping the product to the doorstep, we're setting up a training date. The product is due to arrive 24 to 48 hours in advance of that training. And then simultaneously, we then, once the product is set, a training date is established, we introduce them to a dedicated care coach or a behavioral health coach. And that coach is going to be working with the patient throughout the 28 days. So for day one, the patient will open the box via video call with their coach, and the coach is going to help them set up the system, the free spirit system, and they're going to walk them through the first treatment session. And then the patient's going to move forward on their own after that. They do twice a day for 28 days, the free spirit treatment. And then at the end of each week, ideally, or once a week, the coach is going to check in with them for 20 to 30 minutes, ideally over a Zoom call, and just provide them guidance on how they're doing, what they're doing, and keeping them engaged throughout the full 28 days. I like to refer to our coaches as we're not practicing medicine. I like to think of them more as Sherpas. They're guiding them towards a successful outcome. And in mental health specifically, we find that to be very important. It's one of the secret pieces of our recipe, if you will, where the coach is kind of in it with the patient throughout the 28 days. And we find that creates a better engagement process for the patient. At the end of the 28 days, when the patient is finished, they put the free spirit system back in the box, they package it up and they ship it back to free spirit. We've made the patient experience very simplified, even back to shipping the product back. They use the same box it came in. There's a packing slip that goes on top. They can call FedEx and they can come pick it up or drop it in a FedEx drop box. But within that 28 days, I think what's really important, Eugene, is, and what I feel is really compelling. One of the challenges I think in mental health specifically is adherence to the treatment protocol, whether it's medications or psychotherapy. And I think the first piece of our success in creating great adherence is the coach piece. That's really important because they're there to help the patient understand you're right where you need to be. Look at the results. Look at how far you've come. Keep going through it. And they're encouraging them through the 28 days. Music to my ears. 
To be fair, we run a health coaching company, Maureen and I, right? And I think one of the key components of that is around that behavior change. And it's not about using a device or tool or taking the medication. It's around that patient's goals as a human and understanding, setting, and helping achieve those goals. Part of those goals would be to use a device, product, service, et cetera, that does help and has scientific validation like Crispira. What you're saying really resonates with me because the underlying theme there is you're taking your clients in your wellness and fitness coaching, and you're making them an active participant in the change of behavior. That's what I think is really important about Freespira. We're taking these patients from a passive participant where it's take this medication and come back and see me in eight weeks and we'll see if it works. We're making them an active participant in their own treatment by utilizing the Freespira treatment. Because throughout the 28 days, each training session, first thing they're going to see is how they're breathing. So they're breathing through a nasal cannula. We've got a proprietary sensor that takes breath by breath measurements and sends it to the tablet where they can see a visualization of how they're breathing. What they're going to see is the measurement of their breathing and their respiration rate versus target respiration rate and breathing. And they're automatically what that does is it's the third piece that visualization crystallizes in that patient's mind. Okay, this makes sense to me. I can see where I'm supposed to be from a target range and where I'm at in actuality. So over the 28 days, with each of the sessions that they're doing, they're gonna be breathing through this nasal cannula and there's a series of tones that will prompt them to inhale and exhale. And those tones will help them learn to control their breathing in a better way that will help them stabilize it. Because the underlying process of free spirit, the protocol that we built this around is, it's built on the foundation or the theory that science has proven out that Patients who suffer from panic and PTSD have a physiological disorder called CO2 hypersensitivity. And what we're doing is we're training the patient, to use your word, a new behavior over 28 days where they will be able to stabilize their breathing and manage that CO2 dysfunction so that they can actually avoid having the symptoms of panic attacks and then the physical symptoms that go with PTSD. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my amazing partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the CEO of Health Excel, and as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hey, Joe. How do you assess who or which individuals are the right candidates for the free spirit intervention versus the alternatives in the market? Well, that's an important question, and thank you, Chandana. We actually don't look at it as free spirit versus other treatments. The positive thing about free spirit is we can be used as a standalone device or in conjunction with therapy or medication. What we're actually trying to do is just understand, is this the right patient to go through the free spirit treatment in and of itself? There's two things that we do. One is we'll actually ask the questions, some just basic PHQ, four questions we call them, to see if they're actually should be excluded from the treatment. So obviously, if you have COVID or you've got a severe lung infection because you're breathing, you would probably not be a qualified candidate. We'd push you to the side and ask you to come back when you're healthier. But more importantly, we utilize independent survey tools for panic disorder, we're using the Panic Disorder Severity Survey, which is the gold standard of measuring whether a patient has panic disorder or not. So based on how the patient answers those questions and where their scoring is based on that, we will determine if they are an adequate patient to go through the free spirit treatment. For PTSD, the vast majority of patients that come in already have a diagnosis. 
but we're using the PCL5, which is a symptomology survey to understand how severe the patient's symptoms are. And again, we utilize that tool, which is the same tool that the VA recommends using in the outpatient setting as well, to identify if the patient is a good candidate to go through free spira. And I'm going to hop in here. Certainly a great question. And I loved your comment. It's not versus, right? In conjunction. I think this is how kind of in a healthcare system, there's always something versus, but I think it's we as individuals just need help along that journey. And therefore, you know, back in the early days of Clubhouse, when it kind of just kicked off, I was actually listening to a PTSD patient in one of the rooms on MDMA-assisted therapy. So I guess a couple of questions surrounding it. Where does really free spirit fall in that journey of that patient? And also, to a certain extent, and again, I can't even imagine what patients go through that, but if you're in the middle of a tag, do you just jump to free spira? Are you already trained to do your 17-minute session, the breathing? Talk to me a little bit about more the MDMA-assisted therapy and free spira, and how do you guys manage that? It's an interesting discussion because there's so many new compounds that are coming out, whether it's ketamine, MDMA. So I'm only going to share my personal opinions on this, okay? And I'm not a clinician or a doctor, so it's important to know that. I think where we struggle in mental health is there's two things I think that we're not doing well. One is we're not giving the patients the full roadmap to all the different treatments available along the spectrum. So they're coming in and we're kind of giving them, here's what we recommend right now, without giving them the full landscape of all the different options that are out there. The second piece too is I think, for me, we need to figure out a way to intervene sooner. I think we're very slow to identify patients. We're slow to assess patients. We're slow to diagnose patients, which then creates a longer trajectory and creates the ability for more comorbidities to come into play. And then the last piece is I think we're looking at it at trying to find a singular product to treat the individual. Let's take a step back and is there an opportunity to do adjunctive treatments with multiple different pieces? So when we look at MDMA, we don't really consider that it's not a competitor to us. We're trying to figure out again is free spirit could be used in conjunction with MDA. What does that look like? But for us, we're looking at, is this patient a good candidate for free spirit, regardless of whatever else they're on? I would say with MDMA, the way we look at that is it's still early on. It really hasn't been proven out, especially in PTSD yet. Once it actually gets that FDA clearance, then we'll really wrap our arms around it and figure out how it works. But we work with clinicians now that are interested in that. We're having discussions with them. And we're trying to figure out one of the things we're looking at is do you do free spirit first? Because what we're hearing about MDMA is it's almost like a chemically induced exposure therapy experience. So by using free spirit, we're teaching them skills that will help them manage their way through and avoid those physical symptoms that they're used to experiencing, especially with PTSD, sweating, nausea, night terrors. So by using free spear, we believe that the patients will have a tool that will be able to manage their way through that highly anxious situation they're going to go through through MDMA and actually potentially have a better outcome. It's fascinating. And I did a Wim Hof like two hour thing. And again, I'm not a clinician either, but the first hour was just intense breath work. And it was almost a hallucinogenic type experience where people coming out of it crying and all of that around me, right? Again, I'm not trying to compare it, but I think the learning of breathing, I can see how that's a key component of the model. And actually, speaking of science, let's talk about that evidence generation journey that you guys took, and you're now an FDA-approved intervention. 
I am actually fortunate enough to come into this role after somebody else had the brilliant plan of mapping it out. But as we talk to other digital therapeutic organizations, the evidence generation strategy that you put in place, really you have to set that up from day one. So the founding CEO and my partner, Simon Thomas and Deborah Reisenthal, they created an incredible journey and that map has served us really well. I think oftentimes where I see startup companies make a mistake in healthcare is they look at the FDA clearance or approval as the finish line. And really, I look at it as a waypoint. What you're ultimately trying to do is build that evidence that not just helps you get FDA clearance or approval, but more importantly, health plans will want to reimburse for it. So you've got to build that evidence generation plan out to get to that final goal, which is reimbursement. And that's what we did here. So we've got multiple different peer-reviewed publications leading up to our most recent. So we've got two FDA indications, one for panic, one for PTSD that's built upon We've got about four different peer-reviewed publications and clinical trials that were pushed out. And then most recently, we actually moved into a health economic clinical trial that we partnered with a large health insurer in Pennsylvania to accomplish. And then now we just published recently our real-world evidence that encompassed 1,600 total patients across both states. What we're doing is we're constantly finding ways to layer the evidence on top of one another. So as people come back and they say, well, the study wasn't designed to have enough patients in it. What we're doing is we're demonstrating consistency across all parameters, and we're demonstrating consistent clinical outcomes, even in real world, to provide more credibility for us to the payers so they feel comfortable reimbursing for us. I get asked all the time, which channel should DTX Startup take? Is it employer channel? Is it the FDA prescription channel? Is it this channel? My answer is yes, yes, and yes all the time because it all depends on, I think, many different therapeutic area, the goals. But I think your point is ultimately what you're trying to get to is the trust by the end patient slash consumer. And in between, to your point, are the prescribers themselves if you go for PDT and from a reimbursement perspective the payers as well. So on that, as we talked about the evidence, you guys are out there commercially and you are a privately held business. Can you talk about maybe original business hypothesis? Has it always been a vision to be a PDT, a prescription digital therapeutic? Were there any early discussions? I know you came in later, but I'm sure you've sat down at the table. How did it change over time with that, if at all? For your first question was about when other DTX companies come to you and and try to identify what's the best channel. And I think each product's got its own channel, but we've actually had a very evolutionary commercial progression. First, if we take a step back, we were originally approved as a traditional medical device, and that's the direction we were going, and that's how we were looking at it. And then, because we were early on, 2013 was really the earlier stages of digital therapeutics. And when we were coming out and heading towards FDA clearance, we started realizing, wait, we don't fit neatly into the traditional medical device box. We're definitely not a pharmacy benefit product. Where do we fit in this digital therapeutic new channel we seem to fit really nicely into? And that's what kind of drove us into that. We got excited about it. Being an at-home technology treatment, right, obviously is kind of part and parcel of what the DTX is about. But in our journey, we actually started with the traditional provider model, going to clinicians, having them identify patients, bringing them in and using the product. Oftentimes, they would do the training with the patients. And we realized early on a couple of things with that model. It wasn't very efficient. Physicians aren't great at training patients on how to use treatments that they're going to then take home because they're not doing it every single day. So that led us to our next step. And we actually moved into the employer channel. We said, okay, we can deliver this technology directly to your home. We'll have coaches here. We can get the patients assessed. If they have a doctor, they can refer to us. 
If not, we actually have a team of third-party contracted clinicians that we can refer them to. They're not free spear employees. They'll validate the patient and send them to us. And that was the second step of our evolutionary journey. And what we realized was, wow, we had a better patient experience because our coaches, that's all they do. They're doing free spear trainings and guidance every single day. And then from there, it evolved into our new model, which is everything is done internally with free spear. So physicians don't have to train the patients. They can refer patients. Patients can come to us. We can introduce them to a physician if they don't have one that will get them approved for the product or prescribed. And then we're shipping the product directly to the patient. And for the next 28 days, we're kind of managing the patient through the entire free spear journey. And what we find is a much better patient engagement We've got 75% adherence to our protocol, which means that the majority of patients are doing 75% of the prescribed treatments. The second piece that we realize is a much better patient engagement opportunity where they're staying throughout the 28 days, but they're progressing and having incredible clinical outcomes. And then the last piece is just patient satisfaction scores are really high for us. So we're very proud of all that. I think what you described earlier from a user experience and patient experience, it's pretty amazing journey to get well, right, or get better as the patient transitions and those treatments at home. Let's dive deeper. So we talked about the channels and your evolution. Can you talk a bit about the pricing model? I think everybody wants to know about pricing models in the digital therapeutic space. So we'd love to hear how Freespira evolved here. I get asked that question a lot at meetings. And my answer is going to sound probably vague or political in some respects, right? But you got to figure out what's best for your product. We have to actually help companies understand is there's no one size fits all. Our pricing model is uniquely different. So we're doing a case rate pricing structure. So we're billing up front because we're 28 days and that's it. The patient's on after 28 days. So two things. Our model is, and we find the employer channel is a little bit more challenging for us because we are a case rate and not a per employee per month model. If you can do a per employee or per member per month model, I think you're better suited to work within the confines of what an employer, self-insured employer would be willing to do or through health plans into their ASO model. For us, we find that working directly with health plans is better because of the way we're invoicing. And that's a single case rate price. The minute we ship the product out, we're invoicing them. The second thing I tell people around the pricing model is figure out a way that you can go at risk. One of the big things that we did early on when I was a free spirit, we went out and we had this incredibly complicated risk share model that we we're going to go with the health plans. We got a lot of excitement around it, but when it came to contracting, it fell apart. When we investigated why later, like, hey, we had behavioral health lined up with the CMO on board, we passed all the clinical validations and then it never happened. We found out that the health plans, two things. One is they said, even though we want risk share models and we want cost savings tied to the product, We didn't know how to really formulate that contract. And then the second was the burden that would have been placed on the health plan was a big challenge. So what we did was we went back to the drawing board and we came back with a success-based pricing model that's based on patient clinical outcomes that we do all of the measuring. So on a quarterly basis, we're going back to the health plans We're sharing with them the clinical outcomes aggregated across the members that came through the program. And then we're tying that back to an easily identifiable number and we're measuring it for them. And we're going back to them and saying, okay, 90% of your patients achieved the clinical outcomes, 10 didn't just for argument's sake. So here's where the contracting falls in place. And by doing it that way, we found many more health plans are interested in talking to us. There's no burden on them to do any backend calculations. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Joe Perikopka, CEO of Free Spira. So you're operating in US, 
your FDA approved. Any global aspirations outside of US? We constantly look and think about that, Eugene. And I think the challenging thing for us right now is we've got to get further inroads into the US, I think, before we go outside the US. And I've done that previously, like even Canada as well. The healthcare systems are drastically different outside the US. So the way we look at it is we're interested, we're waiting to see how things are rolling out. I would say right now, outside the US, two areas that are really intriguing to us are Germany. They seem to be on the forefront of adoption of digital therapies and reimbursement. So it's really exciting to see what's going on there. And then the other area that's really becoming on strong in the digital therapeutic landscape is the Asia Pacific region. So there are two that we've got a watchful eye on, but there are inherent challenges, obviously, because the technologies here in the US, manufacturing is in the US, the coaching piece. So as we're looking at that, we're actually looking at next product iterations. How do we begin to build the product so that it can be easily transportable into overseas markets like Germany and the Asian Pacific region? But for now, focused on the US, there's so many patients that we really need to treat here for panic and PTSD. And frankly, unfortunately, especially PTSD, it's actually affecting the general population in a very strong way. We're seeing it's a very fast growing condition within the general population. So we really want to make sure that we're helping out the people here first. Let's prove out the model a little bit more, and then we can take it overseas. In every episode, I ask the guest to give advice to somewhere in the value chain of healthcare. And I actually would like to ask you what advice you would give to doctors, physicians, clinicians. I've been in mental health now in some capacity for about 10 years, and I'm incredibly passionate about it because I do think that there's a real strong tie between physical health and mental health that we haven't quite made that connection yet. What I would just say to the physicians and clinicians in general in the behavioral health space is get more involved and get more educated. And I had a friend of mine who's a doctor, who's a psychiatrist. They once asked me, when's the last time we saw an update to the way we're practicing psychiatry and psychology in the country? And I thought about it for a while, and his answer was, it's been the same for 200 years. We're at an incredible point now where just because you may not be familiar with Freespira, don't shut it down or other digital therapies. What really excites me about digital therapeutics and even telehealth is it is built for mental health and it fits squarely into the way they operate and it could actually enhance the patient experience. It could provide better care for patients. And what's most important is stop and think about your patients and understand is access an issue. One of the biggest challenges I think when we talk about access to mental health care in this country is we think it's a six-month waiting period until we get in to see the doctor. But in 50% of the counties in this country, Eugene, there's not a single psychiatrist in that county. What that means to me is access isn't a long wait. There is no behavioral health provider that they could actually get care from. The second piece we have to realize is that the traditional model of making patients go to a physician's office, while I do think there's incredible benefit to that, it's not applicable to everybody. So if I've got to drive an hour and a half every day to work and then work eight hours and come back, my ability to actually get to the doctor's office is limited. So what digital therapeutics can do is provide opportunity to expand your reach, to get to the patients and provide them some level of care early on. And I think that we have to stop thinking about things in terms of the standard of care that we're looking at traditionally and say, okay, what is the best opportunity to get this patient any type of care? And if Freespear or other digital therapeutics could be that first line of treatment for that patient to get them engaged, then let's strongly consider it. Joe, we started with you and want to end this episode with you. What gets you up in the morning, aside from your runs? 
my kids get me up in the morning. I've realized in my life, my kids actually, they only pay attention to maybe 20% of what I say, but they pay 70% attention to what I do. Through my actions and how I passionately attack work every day and my belief in things, if I can have some type of impact on them, that's what gets me up every morning. And I just had this discussion with one of my kids the other day. I've got two boys and they're teenagers now. And my son's in college and he's struggling a little bit his first year with his major. We sat down, we had a long discussion. He's like, I'm thinking of changing my major. And I really encouraged him not to do it. And I said, so you're really passionate about this. I said, you're really good at this. I said, it's a little bit challenging right now. I said, it's at this point that you got to find a way to push through that. And you owe it to yourself to kind of continue to push through it. I said, everything is difficult in life. Anything worth doing is actually 10 times more difficult than you'll ever think it is going to be. You just have to find ways to continue to do it. And my whole thing is work is work. It's never easy. And even if you're really passionate about it and you love it, it's still work some days. But if it's something that you really believe in and you love, it'll keep you motivated. And that's what you have to do is find that intrinsic motivation that keeps you going. So for me, I really believe what gets me up in the morning is I am determined to make digital therapeutics a commonality in our healthcare system. And I refuse to give up. And then also mental health. I think we really have to think differently about treating patients in this country with mental health. And it, it needs to be the priority focus more so than even many chronic illnesses that we're facing now because they're so linked together. Amazing, wise words that we all need to pay attention to. So thank you for being on this podcast, Joe, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thanks, Eugene. It's just fantastic. Really appreciate it. And thank you for all you're doing, honestly. It's really important. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.